we're going to be taking through the progress of our black comedy feature film. Who are you, by the way? Nobody, nobody knows who we are. <laughs> what this is, is a DIY cinema podcast for DIY filmmakers. The idea is that you don't wait for permission, you just start. This is our first feature film, something we're going to do together. Uh, you're going to get it warts and all. <laughs> <laughs> so we just go into it. I kind of think we could. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Hello, hello, all you lovely people listening to the DIY Cinema Cult podcast. Uh, it's Mark here. I'm without Aaron. Why am I without Aaron? Because I'm not in the shed anymore. I am in Belgium. Uh, the reason why I am in Belgium is because my film, The Chewing Gum Man, is playing a festival here. Uh, a fantastic looking festival called the Equality Festival uh, in Ghent. Um, it's playing at midday tomorrow and I've just arrived in Ghent. It's night the night before uh, and so I wanted to do a bit of a, of a record from the festival and let you know how things are going uh, I brought a bit I brought some things to read on my on my trip I've brought a bunch of scripts I've got routine our film which you've heard a bit about already um, and I've bunch I brought a bunch of scripts of episodes for old man which is me and Aaron might have mentioned before we're going to be basically creating in the new year uh, an episodic kind of dark comedy drama um, that we're going to put out for free on the internet to start with at least um, to help drum up a little interest in us and the film we are going to eventually make which is routine um, so I'm literally going through those drafts uh, on my way over, and I'll be going through those drafts maybe a little bit tomorrow, and on my train journey back to uh, England uh, tomorrow. But um, basically, I'm trying to redraft various things, including routine, our feature film project. Um, I'm kind of work. I'm in the middle of rewrites at the moment. Uh, routine now. I've been writing uh, for a very long time, and we're on into the fifth the fifth draft now um i wouldn't be surprised if there was five more to be perfectly honest with you and it needs that process in order to whip something into shape currently we have a script that is about how many pages is it 98 pages long which is a great length um shorter the better really when you do something on a small very small budget and it's a script of 98 pages that we feel is ready to start showing people. It's not going to be the shooting draft. We are going to be making changes for the drafts. But we're at a halfway stage where we feel like we've got a idea, a concept, a story that people are going to be able to read and get and get into and enjoy. And hopefully throw money at us. You know, when I'm... Um, working on scripts like Routine and Old Man, this web series that we're that I'm, um, writing, it's always in my head, you know, I'm always trying to make things feel real. E even if 
there's very unreal elements at play uh, in the storyline. I always meant want to make it feel real, and probably by that, what I'm talking about is emotionally real for the characters. I don't want things to happen that feel outlandish or shoehorned into the script or um, forced upon the characters. It has to feel like it's come emotionally from the characters from a real place. Um, you know, but, but then in life, weird things happen, don't they? I mean, I'm sure you listening have had lots of very odd, strange things happen to you in your life. That you just think, how the fuck? Who would have written this? This is just a bit fucking balmy. This is a bit odd. If I'd written this, no one would fucking believe it. Um, so then there's a balance. And that's real life, okay? So when you're writing a screenplay, I guess what you want to do is have all of the wonderful, surprising, baffling elements that life throws at you um but within the world of the film they have to feel like they're coming emotionally from those characters from from a very real place flying something in uh, from out the blue it's not going to work in your script and it's going to feel tacked on um but like in real life for example me recently <clears throat> um my, my partner debbie uh, we just had a little baby uh and we are um, you know, very much in love and we settled down and got ourselves a lovely flat and all the rest of it. It wasn't until maybe a year after we'd been seeing each other that um, Debbie, I found out that Debbie's auntie was my teacher in primary school. Not only was she my teacher in primary school, but she was the teacher that I had a crush on. And not only was she a teacher that I had a crush on, she was my first crush as a kid. Uh, she she wasn't called Mrs. Debbie's called Gallagher. She wasn't called Mrs. Gallagher then. She was called Miss Halloran. And I very I have very very distinct memories of being somewhat in love with with Miss Halloran, as in love you can be when you're eight years old. And being quite heartbroken when I heard the news that she was indeed getting married and becoming Mrs. Gallagher. Uh, and it must have been with slightly moist eye that I drew for her her leaving card. <laughs> um, and to my great surprise, she still has that leaving card in a frame on a wall in her house. Um, I haven't seen Mrs. Gallagher yet um since or liz as apparently i'm now supposed to call her i'm going to find that very difficult she's going to be mrs gallagher to me um and it's going to be a very strange meeting because she was my first crush and now i am uh, with child with her uh, niece so there you go life is weird and if you'd written that Actually, that'd be a pretty good premise for a dark little comedy, wouldn't it? The fact that you're the love of your life's auntie turns out to be your first crush. You are listening to the debut feature film podcast. This is DIY Cinema Cult. 
got to say, by the way, um, I've arrived in Ghent tonight, and even though I arrived in the dark and it was pissing rain, but I've got to say, it it is a stupidly beautiful town. Um, uh, the place I'm staying in is in the medieval district. It's an incredibly old building. It's a lovely little place I've got. Slightly strange. It's um, it's within some very kind of medievally compound uh, building where I've got a key to the front door, um, the downstairs street door, but then there's no other keys. And the lady showing me around was like, you know, we just don't have uh, locks on the doors. And I was like, okay. Um, slightly terrifying. I didn't quite know what to what to say. I guess that's how they roll in Belgium. But I'm, I think I am going to have to prop up some little, do- you know, coming from London. Uh, I don't trust. I don't trust these people. I don't want some muppet coming in taking liberties with me in the middle of the night. So I probably will um, prop a, a chair up against the door or something so um, I don't get molested by medieval Belgian freaks in the middle of the night. Anyway, don't worry about me. I'll be absolutely fine. Um, It's the joys, it's the joys of travelling through Europe and going to film festivals, which I hope at some point, if you're listening to this, you are filmmakers and you will yourselves have the lovely, lovely, delightful experience of your films being screened at festivals um, around around the UK and hopefully around Europe too. I mean, I don't know where you're listening to this. You could be listening to this all over the world, from all over the world. And if you are, welcome, welcome. Oh, maybe I'll do the whole podcast in this lovely radio voice. Um, fuck it. Okay, listen. Um, so I arrived in Ghent tonight. It was stupidly beautiful. I got absolutely pissed on. My place is lovely. Uh, popped out and got some food. Um, one of the joys of traveling to Europe, no, I'm only in Belgium, I'm very, very close to my home, which is London, uh, England, um, I'm very close to home, I'm not that far away, but already, uh, it's obviously a very strange country, I popped out for some food, and I found a little kind of, uh, place doing kind of what looked like quite fast food, because I was very hungry and tired, um, I didn't make very good food choices. I, I, I let the lovely guy in the shop help me. Um, I said I wanted something spicy. I don't know why. That's the word that came out of my mouth. I didn't want anything spicy, but I, I, my mouth seemed to think I did. So he then pointed out a couple of different things. One was some kind of sausage that was then di- deep fried and then dipped into some kind of chili sauce. That I later found out as he was frying it. There was a little name tag in in a, in a in of one in the, on on the um, stand, and the name was Lucifer. So I was having um, some kind of Lucifer chili fried sausage. I was instantly beginning to regret it, uh, and then I had some other fried chicken fingers or something. I, I was making bad choices. I'm sorry. I'm hell. I am a quite a healthy guy normally. Um, Maybe when you come to Belgium, uh, another little hot tip is don't eat a fried sausage called a Lucifer because um, it's actually pretty disgusting. Um, and then I also went out and bought myself some Lef beers. 
bit of Belgian beer, and also my go-to biscuit when traveling around Europe, I've got to say, is the Prince Biscuit. I've, I've, I saw in the shop they now have some kind of wacky new flavors like vanilla filling. It's basically just kind of, it's a very basic biscuit sandwich, kind of a Noah's sandwich biscuit with chocolate in the middle. But it's fucking incre- incredible. And if Prince want to uh, sponsor this podcast, I am a huge fan of Prince. By the way, I'm drinking beer, fuck's sake. I don't know if Aaron would agree with it. I'm sure he would. He loves a Belgian beer. But, you know, outside of the shed, we have this love for Louis Bunuel and his religious gin martini um, consumption in respect and aid to his own creative process. So uh, I've gone off piece with that. I'm not doing gin and tonics tonight. Of course, I am in Belgium. I'm drinking Belgian beer. And I've got to say, I've... I've Drinking a left in a bath, which is what I've just done. Nice hot bath, nice strong beer. Makes you feel Christmassy at any time of year. Um, which is good because it's now fast approaching Christmas. We, you know, we're just stepping into December now. In fact, I'm gonna, that would be the advert, would it not? I could do the voice left in the bath. Makes you feel Christmassy at any time of year. Okay, I'm available for voiceovers right now. You are listening to DIY Cinema Cult. Um, okay, so what, what what the fuck was I talking about? I'm here in Belgium with my film. Uh, now, the fun thing you might find when you do film festivals, first of all, there's lots of weird biscuits, uh, foreign beer, and uh, rooms with no doors to contend with. Um, first of all, when you go to uh, festivals, foreign festivals with your film, which you would no doubt, no doubt will, there's lots of things to contend with, obviously. There's... Um, strange foreign chocolate biscuits very strong beer and bedrooms with no locks on the doors as as i am letting you know but what else to expect you might actually have to do q and a's uh, at the end of your film which is you know go up and they'll ask you a bunch of questions you sound very very interesting and interested and and entertaining and they you they walk away and they think what a fantastic guy who made that wonderful film? Um, that's that's the idea, and then you meet lots of them afterwards, and they all come up and say, "I loved your film. I thought it was amazing." And you say, "Thank you." Have you tried left in a bath? Makes you feel Christmassy at any time of year. And they walk off going, "Yeah," and they walk off and order a left, and then you get some money from the beer company. That's the basic idea of what is going to happen. Uh, so. I will be doing a Q&A tomorrow. Yeah, I'm doing a Q&A, so I don't quite know what to expect. I don't know who's coming to watch the film. Um, will there be anybody there watching the film? Will it be an empty room? Quite possibly. Will I be talking to myself? Will they go, so, is there any questions? And then you just got like nine people staring at you. So that might be what happens. But the film Chewing Gun Man, I'm really looking forward to... Um, Having this cut of the film screened in front of an audience because it was um, it was a new edit I've recently made. So I've added something to the ending. 
basically Ben Wilson is this artist. I've talked about him before, paints chewing gum. But he very recently um, opened up his trail across the Millennium Bridge and he sneakily did a trail of chewing gum paintings up to and into the Tate Modern, the Museum of Modern Art in London. And it was a fantastic event that I just had to catch on film and it becomes the end of the film. Um, so this will be the first time tomorrow that I screen that version of the film for an audience. Um, I've also been trying to get it screened elsewhere. As I've said, um, there was interest from a broadcaster. I don't know if I said in the last uh, podcast, I don't think I could at the time. I can now. We've basically signed the contract. It's with Sky. And so the Chewing Gum Man will uh, be on Sky Arts in June. So next summertime, um, the Chewing Gum Man will be on Sky Arts and I will be letting you all know like a bastard that it's going to be on so you can watch it there on sky arts and also on their sky players i don't know what they have their version they're kind of you know on demand uh players and it's lovely that that has happened for the chewing gum man film i wasn't making it for money i was making the film because i wanted to make a film and i had deep love for the subject matter i had deep love and respect for the the subject of the film and it just goes to show me that you really should from the very beginning set out to make films for love not reward because i think if you set out to make films for reward you'll always tend to you always tend to be disappointed if i had set out from the get-go thinking okay i'm gonna make chewing gum man and i'm gonna make some money off this i want to turn a profit i don't think i would have done it because i just wouldn't have had it wouldn't have had the same drive and push and passion behind it it would have been a means to an end which would have been to get paid whereas I, it wasn't a means to get paid the film took me about a year and a half to shoot i shot it whenever i had spare time whenever i could catch ben i mean the same thing happened with um, uh, my film we are what we drink i had no plan for that film in fact when i pitched the um the script to film london for funding i pitched two scripts excuse me i'm just gonna have a drink of left A bottle of Leff in the bath makes you feel Christmassy at any time of year. Yeah, I'm going to fucking do that. I'm going to get an agent. Right, what was I saying? Yeah, we are what we drink, okay? So listen, this is the way it went. So, Film London uh, ran a scheme called Best of Boroughs. I think it's still going. You should look them up. You should apply. It's a brilliant, brilliant scheme. Uh, at the time of, of, of my applying, you could apply multiple scripts if you wished. I sent two through. I sent a, a, a film I was very, very passionate about uh, called Two Clowns Walk Into a Pub. Um, it was a dark comedy. But no, actually, no, it wasn't a dark comedy. It, was a, it had a bit of pathos in it as a film, but it was quite... It was quite... I don't know, it was, there was a lot of pathos, there was a lot of kind of actually melancholy. It wasn't a comedy at all. There were funny elements. In fact, I think my, my plan was to, the film sounds like the setup to a joke, right? Two clowns walk into a pub and I think that was my, that was my little joke in that respect, the fact that it isn't a funny film. Anyway, that was a very, that was a film I was very passionate about. I'd written multiple, multiple drafts of this, you know, I think it was a 15, 25, or maybe 25 page screenplay. And I was so desperate to make that bloody film. I could, I could just envision it 
I was, you could just see it, breathe it, taste it. I sent it in and thought, that's the one. And then I thought, oh, I've got this other funny idea that just popped out of my head. I'm going to write that down, send that one in as well. Um, I hadn't done multiple drafts on We Are What We Drink. I literally wrote down what was in my stupid head and it was only six pages long. I thought, well, that can't hurt, can it? I'll send that one in as well. And guess what happened? That's the one they funded. And I was like, oh, bloody hell, now I've got to make this stupid six-page comedy about a guy who walks into a coffee shop and it's all just like a big knob gag, basically. It was all a bit silly. The thing I didn't know is that, you know, when they're funding these films, they had a whole slate of films and a lot of them were very serious. And they thought, well, we don't have a comedy. And they literally picked me and added me to the slate of films. Uh, they didn't give me much money. I always thought they gave me a grand. I actually found the receipt uh, when I was cleaning out some accounts the other day and it was £800 we got from Film London to make that film. And it was £800 that they'd nicked off someone else's budget. So we were really a kind of add-on to that raft of films. So um, I kind of caught ear of this, that this is what we were. We were like this kind of poor cousin, this kind of little tag-along kid to the Film London output that year. And so I just kind of thought, well, give it a shot, see what, see, we've only got 800 quid. And I think we raised another 1,500 quid. It was pre-Kickstarter, so we just got, I just sent out emails and friends and family and we got a bunch of money together. And we shot for a day and a half. I think that's all we could afford. None of it was done thinking that we were going to get anywhere, that we were going to win any awards or anything, anything like that. And this is why, I guess this is why I kind of want to talk about this. What happened was we, we, we then we then did really well with Film London. The film came out really, really well. The people at Film London loved it. We ended up being nominated for the Best of Boroughs Awards, which is a Film London's awards scheme. Because Air Film London liked our film, we were selected for the Air Film London section of the London Film Festival. So we were selected for the London Film Festival, I think it was 2011. Playing the London Film Festival was a dream come true and it was a brilliant, brilliant experience. But what happens is with the London Film Festival is that then you then now qualify for a BAFTA submission. And I didn't give this a second thought, you see, until uh, one day I'm at home, I get a call. And this very nice chap from the, uh, BAFTA says to me, uh, hello, hello. Um, you do realise that um, by being selected for the London Film Festival, you automatically uh, qualify for BAFTA submission. And I went, oh, yeah, I think I did know that, yes. And he goes, and you do realise, out of all the films selected at the London Film Festival, you were the only film not to submit for BAFTA. And I was like, uh, am I? And he said, yes, well, don't you want to? And I said to him, well, I said, sorry, have you seen my film? And I said, uh, it's not really what I would expect to be BAFTA worthy. And this lovely chap hadn't seen my film. And I was going, mate, my film is six minutes long. It's about a guy who's trying to order a cup of coffee and he just gets cussed by the barrister about his bald head and the size of his knob. It's a knob gag. The whole thing is essentially a kind of slightly polished two Ronnie's knob sketch, which is... I mean, I was under no illusion that it was anything grander than that. I was really, really aware that's what it was. It was very good, short film. 
in my eyes, I still look good back at it and I think that's fantastic. I do love it. But I was like, Mr. BAFTA man, I'm not winning no BAFTA, so jog on. And he said, no, listen, I think you should submit. So I was like, okay, well, um, how do I go about doing that then? Because you've got to get the film to us by midday today. So I was right up against the limit. So I had to run in with my tape and I sent it in. And a couple of weeks later, I got an email saying, you've been longlisted for the BAFTA for best short film of 2011. And I was like, bloody hell. So I send an email to my dad and I tell my dad this and he gets on the phone to me and he says, well, how many is in the long list then? And I was like, well, I don't know, but it's, it's the BAFTA, right? So the long list is going to be long. It's going to be like a hundred films. Anyway, my dad wasn't satisfied with my rather blasé, you know, investigative, uh, <laughs> um, approach to what was going on in my life. And, um, he called back a couple of minutes later and he went, I found out, I Googled it. I found out how many are on the long list. And I said, how many? And he went, 15. And I nearly shit myself. Because suddenly, from this little film that got given £800, it had now been shortlisted for a BAFTA. That I was in a one in three chance of getting a BAFTA nomination. This blew my mind. Because I suddenly shat myself and thought, do I need to get a fucking tux sorted out? What the hell is going on? I had no expectations of going that far. Absolutely none. What happened was, we didn't get the nomination. And I didn't expect we would. But the fact that we got that far absolutely tickled me pink. I was laughing my head off. I could not believe it. And it just goes to show you. And actually, you know, saying a couple of minutes ago that I had no intention or want to make the film, really. It was just like a little brain fart that I I kind of added as it kind of also ran to my submission uh, to Film London actually became one of the best film experiences I've had. I loved making that comedy. I loved the process of making comedy. And it's why I'm still making comedies today, essentially. Um, to screen We Are What We Drink at the Princess Anne Theatre at BAFTA. And to have a crowd of people just pop with laughter at the right moments. It was just a complete switch went on. Do you know what I mean? You probably had those moments yourself when you kind of go, do you know what? This is exactly what I want to be doing. That lovely feeling of reaching out in the dark and poking people in the ribs and getting a reaction. That's what I love about films. And we didn't get the BAFTA nomination, but we did go in and win a bunch of awards. It played around the world, in the United States and in Europe to incredible audiences and to great response uh, and it's a film I love very dearly so I don't know if the chewing gum man is going to get any raucous uh, responses tomorrow I don't know if anyone is going to turn up but I will basically get my head down now it's late I've got to go to bed uh, and I, don't, I want to be kind of fresh for this thing tomorrow so I will love you and leave you but I will uh, keep you informed of what's going on. But I'll be back tomorrow morning. So, until then, night night. And don't forget, guys, left. It's a beer. Drink it in the bath. Makes you feel Christmassy at every time of the year. All right, bollocks. Night night. Hey,
Chile Morning guys. Um oh, well, it wasn't a bad night's sleep in the end. Um my room wasn't broken into and I wasn't violated by uh, some Belgians. It was uh, fine. And I shouldn't be so suspicious of people, should I? People are lovely and kind. Uh, I was making myself a little coffee. Um, in the in the place I'm staying in, there's like a CD player, and there's a load of old CDs on on the uh, on the shelves. So I've popped on an old Neil Young album. I, I hope this isn't copyright infringement. I'm just listening to a, a CD. Fucking chill out, okay? Anyway, I've woken up in. Um, a district of Ghent called Patashol, which is like the kind of medieval part of town. It is absolutely stunning out the window. The place I'm actually staying in is is a ancient uh, building. I mean, the walls are stone. There's big stone supports jutting out of the walls. The 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 ceiling is completely wood timber beams. It's kind of crazy. Um, you know, ancient fireplace. You just wonder about all the shit that's happened in these rooms over over time, you know? Anyway, I want to get my shit together. I'm going to get out into Ghent, find the cinema, the Spink Cinema, where we're playing at 12pm. Um, and I'm going to get there a little bit early just to, you know, meet some of the festival organisers and make sure I know where I'm going. Um, so I will let you know how we get on. Speak to you soon. This is, it's a DIY cinema podcast for DIY filmmakers. DIY cinema cult. Oh, well, it's a little later now. I, I'm just back from... The screening of Chewing Gum Man, which went so well. The, the Sphinx Theatre, where the cinema, where it played, is a beautiful old building. Um, very long established cinema, right in the heart of Ghent. Um, and the picture and the sound were just in, in, incredible. They were so of such a high quality, which is always... It's always what you want as a filmmaker going to a festival. You want your film presented in the best possible way. Um, and it was the the screening was lovely, and I and I stood up and did a few questions at the end and just kind of explained a little bit about the film. It was quite nice to see quite a few people come out to see the film today as well. Midday screening, um, you're never quite sure who's gonna turn up. Um, also, I'm in a strange town. I don't quite know what to expect, but it was a, it seemed to be a lovely crowd of people, um, and they seemed to be really up for it. The festival itself, it's a very, very inclusive uh, f uh, festival with a very beautiful ethos. Uh, their program is emblazoned with um, sentences like, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. And if that's not a... If that's not a code to live by, I don't know what is. But if you ever are in Ghent during the time of the festival, uh, Festival of Quality, 
do check it out if you ever have the opportunity to submit a film or documentary or they also have kind of um other kind of performance art it's very much a cultural film festival a cultural festival not just a film festival do submit because um it's a great audience for your work to be presented to and it's a great town to come and visit it's been lovely being here in Belgium. It has been, uh, I've had some lovely food, I've had some fantastic beers, and been to uh, a lovely film festival too. It's always good to get your film seen by a new audience. It's always a very, very good experience to have your film, to be in the audience when your film is being viewed. Because you start to see your film at a distance, you're slightly distanced from it now. Start to see things uh, as an audience member would. Uh, which is double-sided. You pick out some mistakes that maybe you didn't notice before, but generally what happens is you start to see the film working on a whole instead of a collection of pieces and sequences. And sitting in the cinema today watching The Chewing Gum Man, I was kind of affected by it emotionally in a way that I hadn't really been affected by it before uh, watching it. Because, I mean, when I'm watching the film come together, it's watching grass grow. It kind of comes together over many months. And so you can't help when watching the film back. Generally, when I'm watching the film back right up until the screening, I'm watching it because I'm checking timing, rhythm, uh, sound edits or grading or any number of kind of technical procedures that you kind of go through to, you know, create a final film. So I'm seeing all of these elements and it isn't until maybe today actually I sat down and, and watched the film uh, as an audience member and I was touched by it in a way that I intended audience members to be touched when I set out to make the film. So that was kind of a gratifying experience and one that I kind of found surprising. I wasn't quite expected to see the film at such a distance today. I thought I'd still be kind of niggling over little technical issues. Uh, as I sat there but no so that was quite an experience for me today but I'm heading home tomorrow and I'm looking forward to it because I miss my family I miss my missus and my kids and the wee man my little baby Jude who's only five weeks old so it's about time I got home you know I saw I was on social media the other day and um I saw a post I think I was on Instagram or something and it was some kind of filmmaking meme Oh, I hate, I just used the word meme. I hate myself now. Um, it was on Instagram and it was a filmmaking post and it was Quentin Tarantino and he'd made some quote that, you know, he's like, when I make a film, I don't have any family. So I like, you know, I don't, uh, I have no distractions <laughs> and all I'm thinking and eating and living is the film. And I thought... Yeah, good for you, man. There is that kind of... Because there is a school of thought, isn't there, that if you've got kids, you know, there's no way you're going to become a film director. I know a lot of young people that I've met while trying to become a young filmmaker myself in the past uh, have cited that kind of viewpoint. I was working on a on a short film. I was directing a short film many years ago and I'd, I'd just become a father. So my youngest, Jojo, was, was a newborn and I was directing this film and it was the producer on the film who also, she was the writer of the script also and she was the producer and she said to me, you know, 
well, now you've become a dad, that's it. You know, it's over for you. There's no way you're going to become some new, hot new director. And this kind of point of view infuriated me, really. <laughs> uh, and I was, I was annoyed by that because I was like, well, how, why is having kids a death nail in the coffin of your film career? I mean, I can understand what uh, Quentin Tarantino is is saying in that regard. But I also think that Quentin Tarantino isn't half the director that Stanley Kubrick is. And Stanley Kubrick had loads of kids. And his family and home life were the centre of his world. And his films revolved around that. So... Stick that one up your ass, Quentin Tarantino. Um, actually, this is a good. Um, this is a good topic. Actually, I might bring this up on another podcast with Aaron because Aaron's a family man, and there might be people out there who are either filmmakers trying to become filmmakers who have children or are about to become parents, or maybe you're without children. And you have that anxiety of, oh, if I settle down and have children, that's the end of my career. It's one or the other. Um, We might be able to put your mind at ease because it isn't one or the other. The truth is that having children takes your human experience to another level uh, beyond certain boundaries that your life may be up to that point you get a greater understanding of 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 humanity and, and understanding people and and life in general uh and understanding all that stuff is only ever going to make you a better film director and writer because that's all that's that's all the shit you need to do this job that we do because at the end of the day we're just writing stories about people and do you know what i'm gonna let's do a I'm going to suggest to Aaron we do a podcast topic on that because that is actually quite a good, a good one. Career v family. Anyway, thinking about my family, it's making me very homesick. I'm going to head off back to England. Thank you for listening to this podcast and tune in next time. See ya. on twitter at diy cinema cult or on instagram we are diy underscore cinema underscore cult seek out the diy cinema cult group on facebook or why not email us at diy cinema cult at gmail.com follow us